ask your blessing upon our time in the Psalms. Okay, Psalm 3. You'll note that it says it's a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Verse 1 says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Note this, many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help from him in God, Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, literally a shield around me. My glory in the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept, I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have, the, who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of all the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. I, I picture, you could turn, if you would, in your Bible, you could keep a finger there or a piece of paper in Psalm 3. We'll come back to it. But I would encourage you, just so you're not just listening to a talking head, that you're actually looking at the text as I'm going through it. But 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to kind of look at a few verses. But I, I, I kind of imagine the scene that David, you know, the king, He's, he's on the run from Absalom, his beloved and yet estranged son, who has seized the throne of Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 5, or verse 14, the second part of that, tells us what David said to the people. Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. You get the impression that, that David kind of knew what Absalom could do if he, if he set his heart to it. Uh, they, they, they cross over. Shortly after fleeing Jerusalem, David, he looks around at his faithful friends, and there were faithful friends with him. It's beautiful when you read the account. It's sad, but it's also beautiful because people were just kind of coming out of the woodwork, you know, to David. And, and he sent some of them back because he thought they would be better if they were back in Jerusalem and others came with him. And, and, and some that he thought would be there, you know, because of his kindness shown toward them, uh, they were not there. And, and so I'm sure there were a lot of mixed emotions for David on that day. But he flees Jerusalem, he, he gets out to, you know, a, a safe place, and I imagine David reflecting upon the faithfulness of God. God has always been faithful. God has always been kind to me. Um, God has always protected me, David might be thinking. All through my life, David might be reflecting upon, even when he was a boy or young man, uh, keeping watch over his father's sheep and how you know, he would take a, a lion by the mane and, and kill it and, and uh, you know, a bear. And he would have to fight off these wild animals to protect the sheep. And, and he knew within himself, it's not because I'm a great warrior or, you know, quick on my feet or whatever. It's because God has protected me. God has been there. From my youth, he's, he's been there. 
David, I, I imagine him uh, reassuring himself of the Lord's help. He helped me then. He's helped me through my life. He's helped me in the many battles that I fought with friend and foe. Because remember, sometimes he was battling friends. And then I imagine David settling down, maybe sitting down and writing Psalm 3. Now, I say I imagine because obviously we have no idea. We don't know, did David write this psalm in that time period? Did David write this psalm later after things kind of calmed down? Did David write this psalm after he came back to Jerusalem and the throne was restored to him? We, we really don't know. We're just simply told that it was, the time frame was when he had fled from Absalom, his son. In Psalm 3 and verse 1, again, you don't have to turn there. I'd like you to stay with me in, in uh, 2 Samuel 12 because we're going to be looking at scriptures. But in in Psalm 3, verse 1, it says, how they have increased. Lord, how they have increased. And in verse 1, we have the word many. And in verse 2, we have the word many. Again, Psalm chapter 3. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12. Again, stay in 12. Stay in 12. You don't have to go to 15. I'm just going to read these. I'm leading up to it. Okay, it's not that hard to follow. Just stay in 12, and I'll meet you there eventually. But uh, 2 Samuel 15, verse 12, it says, The conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continued to in continually increased in number. And again, he makes mention of that. In verse 1 of chapter of uh, Psalm 3, he, he, we see the word many. And in verse 2 of Psalm 3, we see the word many. So kind of imagine this in your mind's eye. Now, you don't have to, you know, stretch your imagination too much if you know the scriptures. Because we have the biblical account of what was taking place at that time. Um, this, was, this was a difficult time. 2 Samuel chapter 12. David is confronted with his, his sin, uh, with Bathsheba, and remember the sin with Bathsheba was not just adultery, but it was, it was murder, uh, of course. And we, we know the account how Uriah, uh, by the way, one of David's mighty men. I mean, it just seems so, so over the top. You know, the betrayal, um, uh, the nearer the relationship is, the nearer the friendship is, I think the, the more, more harsh the sting, the pain is, because you feel like, you've done this to me. And, and, and yet Uriah, you know, really oblivious. He had no idea. I think of Uriah, and I think of this man who died a loyal man to David. I mean, on the day that he died, he wasn't thinking, David set me up. He was probably thinking, I count it worthy to die in battle for my King David. But he's confronted. Of course, the prophet comes in. So chapter 12, look at verse 7. Look what it says. The prophet, Nathan, he comes in. Verse 7, you are the man. You are the man. Remember, he tells the, the, the story about the lamb and all of that. And David gets furious. And, 
And uh, so he, he's called out, he's exposed. You are the man. Look at verse 9, the first part of that. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Drop down to verse 13, chapter 12. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then verse 14, the second part of that, he's told, the child also who is born to you shall surely, shall surely die. So this was a heavy day. Chapter 12, 2 Samuel, he's confronted with the sin. And, um, you know, the, the judgment is pronounced upon David. Then you go into chapter 13. Chapter 13. What do we see in chapter 13? We see David's son, Amnon, raping David's daughter, Tamar. I mean, it's like, what in the world is going on? And your heart breaks for David in one sense because you know that this is a man, you know, I mean, I'm sure that he lived with shame from, from that incident with Bathsheba and Uriah and all that transpired there, probably to the end of his life because we see this humility within David. Remember when David was leaving Jerusalem <laughs> And Shimei comes out, and he's throwing stones at David, and, and he's calling him a rogue, and, and um, you know, he's just cursing at David. And David, one of David's mighty men, he says, uh, you know, why are we putting up with this? Let me go over and take his head off. You know, you can't talk to a king like that. And remember how David responded? And he says, the Lord put this in his mouth. The Lord put this cursing in his mouth. I mean, how do we not know that this isn't of the Lord? And, and David, that's why I say, whenever I talk about David, David was a sinful man. David was a man after God's own heart. How could you be both? Because David was a man who took his lumps. He didn't moan and groan. He didn't play the victim. You know, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? David understood that he understood this. Sin begets sin. He understood that one thing leads to the next thing. And you see this thing with Bathsheba and how it affects the family. And I, and I just think of how sin will do that. Sin, it doesn't, you know, it's like, it's my sin. It's a personal thing. It's never a personal thing unless you're a hermit and you don't have anyone in your life and you don't associate with anybody. Then it's your thing. It's your personal thing. But, but, Sin, it has an effect upon all the people in your family, all the people that are close to you. It just has such a negative effect. And this is why, as God, God's people, we need to be people who are responsible for our actions. And we say, man, I, you know, Lord, I don't want to sin against you, but also the sense of, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this to my wife. I don't want to do this to my children. I don't want to do this to my husband. I don't want to do this to my parents. I don't want to do this. This sense of, of awareness and responsibility. Amnon was one of David's sons. And, you know, how many sons did David have? Well, we know that, that, that David's had at least 21 sons. We know that 19 of his sons were named in the Bible. Uh, we know the child, so the, the child that he and 
uh, Bathsheba had the first child. Uh, we don't have a name for that child, so that would be 20. And then there's another child that's not, not named. How many daughters did he have? Do you know that we only have the name of one, and that's Tamar? So did he have other daughters? Probably. I mean, what are the chances of having, you know, 21 sons and only one daughter? But, but it's interesting. She's named, of course, because of what we see in chapter Chapter 13, chapter 13, Amnon. Tamar is his half-sister. Tamar is the sister of Absalom. So we, we understand this. And it says in verse 1, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon... The son of David loved her. It almost makes you want to gag when you read these words. He loved her because when you read the account, there was no love in this at all. Verse 4, the second part of it. He says, I love Tamar, my, my brother Absalom's sister. Look at down in verse 7. And David sent home to Tamar saying now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him do you guys remember hopefully if you're not familiar with this hopefully I'm just whetting your appetite and you'll want to read these chapters that we're just kind of skimming over uh, so that you could get the the full picture I point that verse out because remember Amnon by the guidance by the counsel of one of his friends said, you know, in essence, you want her, you take her. And we'll set up a plan. And you pretend that you're sick. And you ask your father to send Tamar to bake some bread for you, you know, because you don't have an appetite and everything. And, and I just, when I, when I read this, verse 7, and David sent home to Tamar saying, and I just thought, man, when you, when you know what, when you read, you know, the account, and you realize more guilt on David's shoulders. I sent my daughter to his house. Now, of course, David had no idea what was going to happen. But, you know, there, you understand that, parents, you know, people in general, you just kind of understand the sense of guilt. You feel like, gosh, I feel somehow responsible for this. I'm the one who, who sent her, her, her there. And then verse 12 of chapter 13 it says, no, my brother, this is Tamar, no, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this dis disgraceful thing. She tries to reason with her brother. She says, ask, ask our father. He'll give you, he'll give me to you. You, you just think it makes your heart break to think of Tamar and, and just experiencing that with someone you would consider, you know, I'm safe with him. He's my brother after all. He's my half-brother, but he's my brother after all. And then verses 14, the second part of 14 and verse 15. Being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon, listen, then Amnon hated her exceedingly. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. What a dog. What a dog. 
Verse 19, then Tamar put ashes on her head. This is so sad to me. And tore her robe of many colors. The, 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 the children were given robes of different, uh, of many colors, you know, like, like Jacob had. This was a, 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 a symbol of prestige. This was a symbol. We, we are children of the king, you know. And so she, she, she tore her robe of many co colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head. This was a form of, you know, just sorrow. And, and we see this, you know, you even see this in some of the pictures of the Holocaust when the Jews will put their hands on their head. It's a form of sorrow. And went away crying bitterly. And then look at verse 21. I, I admire David. He's one of my heroes, but I read this verse But when David, King David, heard all these things, he was very angry. Really, David? Is that it? You were very angry? What'd you do? Nothing. I'm angry. But I'm not going to do anything. What a shame. Sin begets sin. One thing leads to the next thing. Tamar, she's been raped by her brother, the disgrace. She will remain, she will remain a single woman the rest of her days. She will probably live with uh, you know, a, a family member for the rest of her days because no man in that culture would want her at that time. Maybe, maybe there was someone that would, you know, show grace to her, but but she was, <laughs> in chapter 13 of 2 Samuel, Absalom murders Amnon, his half-brother. He, he kind of sets up this whole thing. When you look at it, guys, we see the heart of Absalom. This is why earlier on, when I read that verse, uh, David uh, said in chapter 15 of 2 Samuel, Arise, let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. You kind of see the heart of Absalom. Absalom invites all the king's sons. Absalom invites the king. I mean, was this going to be a slaughter of the whole family? You know, Dad, you didn't do anything. Don't you care? And David, he bows out. He says, no, I'm, I'm not going to come to this. But the other sons come. And, of course, we see the, the true motive. He doesn't kill the other sons. But, you know, you, as you're reading the text, as you're kind of reading it before you get to the, uh, you know, the, 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 the end of it, you wonder what was in Absalom's heart. Was, was he going to kill all of them? And yet he, he sets it up in verse 28, and Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. And so they did. But news comes to David that all of his sons are slaughtered. Again, sin begets sin. One thing leads to the next thing. What do you think David did? 
I mean, you could read the account, but David probably thinking, I can't believe that I brought this on my family. I did this to my family. They're all gone. And then he gets news. No, 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 no. They're not all gone, David. They're not all gone. You, you, you got the wrong information. Amnon's gone, but, but not, not all of them. Second Samuel chapter 14. Absalom, he's on the run. He's gone for a time. Then he's forgiven by David, his father. But in verse 28 of chapter 14, and Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, note this, but did not see his father's face. I think we read that three times in the text there. Did not see his father's face. David, what are you doing? You bring him back. You allow him to come home. But you don't even go and, and, and see him. You don't even go and talk to him. David, this is your child. David. How many wives did David have? Eight of them are named in the Bible. He may have had more. We know he had concubines. Uh, here's the problem. Sin begets sin. You say it's all that Bathsheba thing. No, no, no. It goes back before the Bathsheba thing. In the beginning, God created them male and female. A man shall leave his father and cleave to his wife. The two, not nine or ten or, you know, a thousand like Solomon had, you know. But the two shall be knitted together, joined together, they shall become one, one flesh. For what purpose? For offspring, that there might be a blessing unto the Lord. The offspring is a blessing to the Lord. And of course, remember when the children of Israel were asking for a king, Solomon or Samuel was offended because he felt like they were rejecting him. He was the judge of, of Israel. And God said, Samuel, they're not they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. I'm the one they're rejecting. And he says, Samuel, go tell them they could have a king, but let them know that when they anoint a king, this is what he'll do. And he gave them the list. He'll enlist people or draft people into his armed forces. Uh, you know, he will acquire wealth and wives and all of these things. And here we see David... He steps out of God's will, and one thing leads to the next thing. You've created problems. You've created trouble for yourself. Guys, listen. We need, when we read the Bible, we need to read the Bible, and we need to take it seriously. And we need to look at the Bible as a mirror to our own lives. And we need to look at the sin in our own lives. And we say, well, I'm saved. We're saved. But we still, we cannot let sin abide in us because it will take root and it will become our master if we let it. And we need to let the word of God be a light into our lives and say, oh Lord, help me. I don't want to be mastered by anyone. I want you to be my master, Lord. I don't want to be a slave to sin. Well, chapter 15, verse 6. Actually, 15, 16, 17, but in, in chapter 15, verse 6, so Absalom stole the heart of the men of Israel. Uh, chapter 15, verse 14, the second part of that is where we see, again, but the fuller verse, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart. Uh, 
lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. You know, you might be confused and say, why would David run? I mean, David was a warrior. David was a giant killer. David was all that, even in, a, in his old age, you know. He was still ready to go out to battle. They just wouldn't let him go out to battle. Well, because David had more concern, and this shows us the heart that he had. He had more concern for the people. He didn't want civil war in the streets of, of Jerusalem. And so he knew, I, I know what Absalom wants. He wants me gone. He wants me dead. But he wants me gone, and he wants the throne. So I'm walking. I'm walking. And I'm trusting the Lord. We're going to come back to that in Psalm 3. I'm going to have to really move fast in Psalm 3. But, but he says, lest he strike... Uh, bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Look at verse 30 of chapter 15. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went. This is so sad to me. Whenever I read this portion of scripture, it's so sad. I, I can picture in my mind David. Uh, let me just continue reading. And he had his head covered and went barefoot and all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up. Guys, this is a picture of what would, what would take place when Jesus would make not the ascent but the descent on that same mount, the Mount of Olives. Uh, the man of sorrow, the man of sufferings, the one who, who came to bear our sin. And, and in one sense, David is, is experiencing, in one sense, you know, uh, this rejection as the children of Israel rejected him, you know, uh, they would reject their Messiah. There's so much there. And then 2 Samuel chapter 18, that's the last place. And then we'll go back to... And there's so much there, and I hope that you, I hope that you read Second Samuel, um, because there really is so much, so much there. Verse five, the second part of it, David. He says, "Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. Your heart breaks. My heart breaks. I think any parent, your heart breaks. <clears throat> your kid could be." the worst kid around, but it's your kid. He says, please deal gently with him. I don't understand the parent that says, I cut them off. I have nothing to do with them. I think, man, where is the heart of Christ? Where is the heart wanting to see restoration? Where is the heart that... that you know, the hope for repentance, as long as there's breath in his lungs or her lungs, as long as our heart is beating, there's opportunity for them to repent and to turn to Christ, you know. That's the heartbeat of God, and that's surely the heartbeat of a parent. Look at verse 15, chapter 18, verse 15. And ten young men who bore uh, Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Remember, he got caught, his hair got caught in the thicket of the tree. His hair, we're told that he was a beautiful man, Absalom was, that he would cut his hair once a year and he'd weigh it, you know. And he just had this thick, you know, hair and, and his asset became his liability. 
when he was on the run. And then verse 33. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So sad. Remember that, that David was corrected, and I think in that particular case, he, he, the correction was, was sound. He was corrected. He says, you're embarrassing. You're embarrassing the people, David, because they're rejoicing that your foe is gone, and you're weeping, and, and they, they would feel, they feel as if you would be happy if they were gone, they were dead, and Absalom was still here. And so David, because David is a man after God's own heart, David is a man who takes his lumps. He sucked it up, he went out, and he was the king and leader to the people. You know, guys, I'll tell you, when you read the Bible and you look at the world that we live in, the world we live in is so foreign from, from men and women of honor. I mean, it really is. And we can look at the Bible, and this is what many people do, modern day people, they say, oh, this is ridiculous. Oh, brother, you know, and there's no sense of honor. There's no sense of honoring the things that God honors, loving the things that God loves. In our culture, sadly, today, many of us, many Christians, have brought God down to our level and when we expect God to have the morals that we have, that you know humanity has, and God needs to just adjust to whatever, and, and what a shame that is. Rather than realizing, man, when we're in the Word of God, we need to be in the Word of God. When we're in the Word of God, our minds are transformed. We think differently. Please, if you don't remember anything else of tonight, would you please hear this? I say it all the time, and because I say it all the time, it's just words, I'm sure, for many of you. We must be people of the word. And every time I say that, I can imagine, you know, though I don't see it, but I can imagine everyone gathered saying, yea and amen. We need to be people of the word. But saying that we need to be people of the word and being people of the word are two different things. If we don't recognize that we need the word of God because our thinking is so twisted, even as Christians, it doesn't take long before, you know, I, what is that saying? Uh, seven days without the word makes one week. Not W-E-E-K, but, you know, week. And it's true. We need to be people of the word. Some of us, we love so many things of this world. That's fine. But, but do we have time for God and for his word? And I just, I, you know, I, I, I just know that People lose perspective. And you don't lose perspective because you're not in the Word for a week. You lose perspective because you haven't been in the Word for a long time. And once you've lost perspective, even as a child of God, I'm telling you, it's not this long journey back. It's simply taking your Bible, opening it up, and saying, Lord, Please speak to me. 
I'm your child, and I need to hear from you because my thinking is not right. Well, Lord, Psalm 3, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help. That word help, it, it literally speaks of salvation. There is no salvation for him in God. And then we have that Selah. Do you know that that Selah, um, it means to lift it up. And it's thought that David made notes to the magicians, not magicians, musicians. <laughs> um, Sila was kind of a, okay, boys, boom it out. Boom out the music. And, and if that, that is the case, it's interesting to know when that Sila appears. Look at verse 2, the second part. There is no help for him in God. Sila. Boom it out, boys. Some believe that it also can mean, there, what do you think of that? So it's almost as if David is, he, he, he makes a statement. Let me read it again. There is no help for him in God. Selah. What do you think of that? Verse 4. I cried to the Lord with my voice. He heard me from his holy hill. Selah. What do you think of that? Verse 8, your blessing is upon your people, Selah. What do you think of that? David, he, when he was fleeing, you know, it had to have been a sad day for him. His head's covered, he's barefoot, he's, he's leaving in humility. Uh, he has obviously more against him, or at least that's what he felt, more against him than those who were with him as he was departing. They were saying, some were mocking. Again, you think of Shimei, you know, cursing. What was he saying? Maybe, maybe he was throwing, you know, the Bathsheba thing uh, in, in David's face. You know, guys, um, sin is, is rarely hidden. People, we think it's hidden, but eventually it comes out. It's, it's, remember the whole Bathsheba thing. Uh, there were the them and the him, and there were also there were individuals. David said, who is she? Oh, that's Uriah's wife. A little later. Send for her. See, there's other people in the know. There's other people that are hearing. People like to gossip. They like to talk about things. And I'm sure that news got, <laughs> got out, you know. And I'm sure that many people just said, well, it's the king. He can do what he wants. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me or around me. Perspective. This is what they're saying. They're increasing. Absalom's numbers are growing. But Lord, I cry out to you because you're a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I like that. Again, David, he's fleeing. He's departing Jerusalem. His head's covered. You know, the men wouldn't wear, you know, you didn't wear hoodies. 
<laughs> in that culture. And a king would not wear a hoodie unless he was not in disguise necessarily, but in humility. And I picture David, his head down. Maybe he's praying as he's making the journey up the Mount of Olives. I've brought this upon myself. I've brought this upon my family. I've brought this upon Jerusalem. I've brought these things. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. His head hanging down. But David, he, he's regaining you know, some perspective. And he says, Lord, you're, you're my glory. You're my glory. My glory is not if I sit on the throne or not. My glory is you. You're the one who lifts up my head. You know, guys, there are times in life where we may hang our heads in sorrow or shame. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Remember the Jeremiah or it was Lamentations. I forget what verse, but anyway, it's good for a man to sit alone in silence. I'm kind of mis-free quoting that, but I think it's good. I think it's good to ponder. I think it's good to think. I think it's, it's good to... Do you ever just maybe you get a, a thought, it just kind of comes into your mind. Maybe it's a thought of your life before you came to Christ. Maybe it's a thought after you came to Christ and, and it's something where maybe you were just kind of playing around with something and oh man, this could have, that thing could have absolutely destroyed your life. But thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you that that it didn't go the way it could have gone. And, and if you've lived long enough and if you've walked with the Lord long enough, you could look at many people, you know, I, I think of, you know, pastoring this church for 35 years. We've seen, we've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have come through this church. And, and we, have, we have just seen people that have struggled with so many different things. And we've seen people get victory and, and walk with the Lord. But we've also seen many, many um, defeats. Many just kind of abandonment to the sin. And, you know, they no longer have any interest in the things of God at all. And I'll tell you, when you see things like that, if we're, if we're humble people, we're not, you know, judging them like, oh, what a loser. We're saying, oh, Lord, thank you that thank you that, that hasn't happened to me. Jesus is coming back. That's another thing I say quite often. And I think that we become a little jaded because we've seen so many bizarre things happen in the past three years. And I think that a lot of us who assumed that Jesus was coming back three years ago or two years ago or even, you know, the beginning of this third year, we're beginning to wonder, is he coming back? And that's when, you know, that's when our flesh kicks in. That's when the enemy really gets a foothold in our life. We, we begin to... Uh, you know, try to find pleasure anywhere we can. And uh, we get ourselves into trouble. Verse 4, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I like that. I remember as a young Christian, I think of how... Um, emotional 
my relationship with the Lord was. I think the first, I don't know how many years, but I, I remember many times crying out to the Lord, Lord, where are you? Where are you, Lord? Don't you care, Lord? Don't you care? Even as the pastor of this church, I would find myself, there were many times in the early days I would sit up in the sanctuary and sit on the floor in front of the first row of pews, and I could remember many times just crying out to the Lord, please, Lord, please help us, Lord. I don't even remember what the trials are now, but they had to have been pretty big and pretty heavy at the time for me to be in that kind of that place of desperation. But I hope, I hope that over the years of seeing his faithfulness and, and seeing him answer over and over and over again that, that I've come to, and I, I say hope because, you know, next week I could... <laughs> fret emotionally you know but hopefully the goal is is as we're walking with the Lord we're able to recount we're able to look back and say he was faithful he was faithful he was faithful he was faithful oh I thought we were going down then I didn't think we were going to make it there I thought that was going to happen here we are and then you get you're down the road and you say God is faithful there's only one reason why we're still going, and you know, you fill in the blank, whatever that means for each person. Why we're still going, and it's because God is faithful, because God hears the cry of his people. And then verse 5, I love this. In my mind, and I, I know I'm just imagining with my mind, but I imagine, you know, David coming to the end of that day. It's been an emotional day. It's been a roller coaster. It's been difficult. He's been cussed out by Shimei, and, and stones were cast at David. He, he was duped, apparently, by Mephibosheth's servant when he came and, and he had supplies for David and his people, you know, raisin cakes and bread and all of that. And, and, and David said, well, where is Mephibosheth? Do you remember Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth was a relative of um, Saul. And when Saul and Jonathan, and they were all being killed, that family, uh, Mephibosheth was a little boy, and the, 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 the maid that was taking care of him dropped him, and he injured his feet, and he was crippled in his feet. And I just think, what a beautiful picture of grace, because Mephibosheth, the relative of Saul, <laughs> David's arch enemy, not because he had anything against Saul, but because David had everything, or Saul had everything against David. That Mephibosheth sat at the king's table. And I think that's so beautiful. Because when I think of that, I think, you know, when you're sitting at the table, <laughs> you don't see any lame feet. And his messenger said, well, Mephibosheth, he said he's going to stay because God's going to restore the kingdom to his family. And remember, David, that would be, that would be emotional. Mephibosheth, I, I helped you. I was there for you. Now, now you're not coming, you know. Where David probably would have sent him back anyway because of his lameness in his feet. 
Remember when that whole thing, when everything turned around, Mephibosheth came to him and he said, you know, basically I, I was duped. I was, you know, I, I wanted to come to you. Uh, and, and David uh, saw him. His feet had not been taken care of. He had he'd really had let himself go. And so David wasn't sure. Remember, he had given the servant all of Mephibosheth's inheritance that David had for him. And uh, then he kind of took half of it and gave half to each one. He didn't know which. But what an emotional day. And then the sun begins to set. And David, he lays down on a blanket. And he slept. And he says, and I awoke, and the Lord sustained me. Can you, guys, when you read the Bible, do you, do you just kind of, do you have any, do you have these aha moments? Do you have these, oh, yes, I get, oh, I know. Uh, there, many times I've gone to bed, maybe my, my perspective was off. I, I, just, I just felt as if, you know, things were very dark and gloomy and, I woke up the next morning and I had a fresh perspective. Thank you, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning. See, because we're people of the word. We keep coming back to the word of God. What does the word of God say? Because our hope is found in the word of God, only in the word of God. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. Again, it's not because he was a great <laughs> warrior that he's going to take them all on. He just says, I I'm trusting the Lord. Those who have set themselves against me all around. I remember when the church, I think we were maybe 16 years old, the church. And we had gone through a split. And it was a painful thing. And... There were a lot of things that were being said about me. And, you know, people, um, sadly, God's people can be very cruel when they're in the flesh, just like anybody else, you know. And they were, people were saying things. And, and I remember I was reading in Habakkuk. And I was reading that last chapter in Habakkuk. It's not in this Bible. It's in my, my old Bible that I've had forever. But um, when it, it says Habakkuk, he determines, he says, uh, though there are no uh, uh, calf in the stalls and, and no fruit on the vine, you know, you know that. And he says, yet I will trust the Lord. And I, I wrote in that, my Bible, I said, um, people are leaving. I feel like no one wants to hear from the old man anymore. Now, that was a long time ago. I felt like an old man back then. And I wrote down a few things there. I was just kind of complaining before the Lord. Now you say, oh, that's what an immature thing. Well, you, hey, you, you, you have your relationship with the Lord. I have my relationship. I just happen to be the one that's honest enough about, you know, some of my emotional uh, moods. And I wrote the date. And many times in my Bibles, when I write things, I have two Bibles that I cherish. Um, I will erase things because those things aren't pertinent any longer. And I've always kept that in that Bible. 
Because to me, it's a reminder of the Lord's faithfulness. Because the Lord, you know, I, I thought, I just got to go someplace else. You know, I prayed. I explored. I almost immediately get kind of an open door to go to a church in Northern California. And, and then I told my wife. So I didn't even pray with her. I didn't talk to her. I mean, this is how I was just in, emotionally just dealing with these things. And I remember it was a Thanksgiving, uh, kind of, you know, the week, Thursday weekend. And I had told Tracy, I said, babe, I, this is what's happening. This is where I'm at. I was very emotional. I said I contacted Don McClure. He called me back. Here's a letter. There's an open door. And my wife is a servant. She is a pastor's wife. A pastor's wife. You know, you talk about the military wife. I'll tell you, there's the pastor's wife, too. It's a, a road that's not easily traveled. And she looked at me and she says, Danny, whatever you feel the Lord is leading you to do, I'm with you. And I said, I don't want to go anywhere. I said, I want to stay here, and I want to see the Lord bless again this fellowship with me as a pastor. That's what I want. I don't want to hear that the Lord is blessing Calvary Chapel Oak Harbor. Sorry, guys. But I don't want to hear that the Lord is blessing Calvary Chapel Oak Harbor, and I'm not the pastor. I'm somewhere else. And, uh, you know, and she said, then we stay. And we, we just, whatever the Lord has for it be it many or be it few. It, it, the Lord hasn't called us, he hasn't given us any promises of numbers, but he has given us many promises of his presence, of, of his ever-present help in time of need. I'm so glad. I share that quite often because to me, it was a turning point in my life, and I feel so blessed uh, with my life now, you know, I, I mean, I, I honestly, I would not want to go anywhere else. I love pastoring this little church, but it's things that we learn. I guess that's my point. When you read the Psalms, can you just kind of imagine that, that David is, is, or whoever the Psalm writer is, that they're learning, they're going through it, they're getting perspective they're they're recognizing that, that God is still on the throne God, David would say God is the one who promised me the throne in the first place I was the least of my brothers he promised me the throne he put me on the throne I didn't strive for this Surely didn't do what Absalom was doing. I didn't strive for this. The Lord put me there. And if I'm not on the throne now, then that must be the Lord's will. And if the Lord wants me to return to the throne, he'll do it. Do, do you see that, guys? Can, can you relate to that in your own life? Yes. Guys, we need to relate scripture to our own life. Or we're not going to, honestly, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I, I feel 
you will not be here a year from now, two years from now, if you're not giving yourself to the study and application of the Word of God. You say, oh, how could you say that? I say that because things are getting more and more difficult, and people are dropping like flies. And the remnant are those who are abiding in His Word. We need to abide in His Word. We need to encourage one another. We need to, we need to count biblical fellowship, not just having dessert, you know, but bi what biblical fellowship is, koinonia, oneness, sharing, communion, having in common. We need to take that extremely seriously. We do. We need to be open about our struggles. I mean, maybe we can't be open with everybody. We need to use discretion, obviously. And all of us have learned, sometimes you share something and you shared with the wrong person. And now your thing is, it's exaggerated and it's blown out of proportion. And, and, you, and you become jaded and you say, I'll never ever do that again. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Find someone... Find someone that's a, a, you know, a faithful brother if you're a man, faithful sister if you're a woman. I'm done. I, I, I'm done because I'm out of time. But, you know, I, I heard something yesterday, and it wasn't from a, a biblical survey or anything else. It was from a secular uh, uh, thing. And, and it just struck me, and I thought, when I heard it, I thought, amen, I see it. And um, this is a true statement. And yet in the church, we need to work so hard that this isn't a reality. But they were saying um, that there are so many people today in the West, because you know we know more about what's happening in the West. So in America, in the United States, and in Europe, that are lonely. And they were saying that loneliness is like a plague. They gave the stats on men who are lonely. Men, they have no friends, they're just, they're lonely. I mean, it was, just, it was so discouraging, it's so depressing to me, you know? And I thought, I know that's true. I know that's true, even men in the church. Because we're so guarded, we just won't, and we've been talking about this on our men's gathering thing, you know, being more transparent, more loving, more caring for one another. But I know that, that women are lonely too. And, you know, we need to kind of fill in the gap for one another, don't we? We need to pray for one another. We need to help one another. Would you ever feel... Um, Maybe you wouldn't feel comfortable, but it doesn't matter if we feel comfortable or not. But if you were really going through it, I remember years ago, we had a guy, I forget his name, big guy, he was a bear of a guy, he was big, big, big guy, big bushy beard, long hair, big guy, he played harmonica, really good harmonica. Um, Chris? Chris, yes, thank you, Chris. And, and we were having a, a prayer meeting upstairs and we had a bunch of people that came out on Sunday nights we would do this we'd worship and we'd have prayer and and he um was sobbing in the back of the sanctuary and so I went back there and um and I had my hand on him 
and his tears, he had big tears too, and they were just dropping on, on my hand. He was just weeping. And I said, Chris, what's wrong? And he said, I'm so lonely. And he just, it was like this, like, oh, just, it, it almost came from the lower region. It just, I'm so lonely. And he's so, you know, and it was so, we just prayed for him. But, you know, and then the, the, the meeting's over and he goes home alone to his thing. And, and um, you know, I think about him quite often because his, his sister and, and brother-in-law was visiting one time and they came up to me privately and they said, thank you for ministering to our brother. He's so lonely. And I said, I, and I just wanted to cry, you know, because I know a lot of people are like that. But would you feel comfortable saying to someone, I'm lonely. Would you pray for me? Or maybe a couple going to another couple that's really going to minister to you. You know they're grounded in the word and just say, we're struggling. Our marriage, is, our marriage is in jeopardy. Could you help us? I think that's how the church is supposed to function. Because when we're not ministering to people and, and people aren't letting us, you know, we're, we can't be responsible for someone who's kind of keeping everything to themselves. But... Boy, we would, be, we would be in great error if, if someone was coming to us and they were trying to, you know, say, please help me, please pray for me, please, I, I need help, you know, and we just kind of were nonchalant about it. We would be in great error. But I'm praying, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would be transparent and open about things, Lord, so that people wouldn't have to suffer alone. And, and Lord, I, I, I pray for anyone that might be here even tonight that's lonely. And for them, they're, they're really lonely. They're, they're single. They don't have a husband. They don't have a wife. They long for that. They want that in their life. Maybe they've given up on, you know, that ever happening. Lord, I... Pray that you would comfort them, Lord Jesus. I thank you that some, I think of some that are, are lonely, and, and I just see how they have given themselves to you. And, and it's apparent. And they're giving themselves to you in service to a, de a greater degree. It's, it's almost like, it's like Hannah. Oh, Lord, give me a baby. Give me a baby, Lord, please. You give me a baby and I'll give them right back to you, Lord. And it seems like you honor that type of devotion, Lord. We pray for marriages that might be struggling, Lord. We pray that we'd be honest and open. And, and, and again, that we would search out our brothers and sisters that are trustworthy and faithful. Please, Lord. Help us not to suffer alone, Lord. 
Help us not to lose perspective because we're not in your word getting the biblical perspective, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a